coming to you from thefightsite.com. It's the best damn jujitsu podcast ever. Say os again. Os. latest episode of say os again oh yeah now we are about uh, a month ahead of schedule uh releasing episodes so we'll be gone for the next year after this Uh, but we want to catch up on some very important news um but first i want to introduce our guests um first off is uh tommy elliott from the fightsite.com how are you today tom hello one and all i am doing great i'm happy to be here and of course, it's your host, Matt, uh, winner of uh, multiple matches at IBJJF um, Atlanta. Um, yeah, so that, that's all that happened. Are we missing anything else that's happened between a, a, a host here? All right, that's right. Uh, joining us, we have... <laughs> that was real cringe. Holy shit. <laughs> joining us, 2-0 Amish MMA fighter and, quote, precision striker, Ben Cohn. How are you today, Ben? Feeling pretty good. Feeling pretty now, good. First question is, did you break your hand or your shoulder throwing any of those punches? I know how fragile you are, you know? Um, I, I actually am getting an x-ray of my hand. <laughs> are you serious? Are, are you? Which one? Your right hand? My, my thumb, yeah. Oh, man. So, um, what did you do? What, you hurt it? Uh, uh, you know, I bent it backwards during the punch and whatever. You broke it on his face. Yeah, pretty much. It's, I don't know if I broke it, but it, it's it's pretty fucking. Dude, you fucked that guy up. Thank you. Yeah, he. Uh, yeah, I, I think he really was just really, really like. Um, he was like, I cannot under any circumstances let this guy get near my legs. Yeah. No, man. It was it was kind of the crap the classic uh, BJJ guy with uh, a little bit of striking chops. You know, your um, your opponent gets so worried about the threat of the takedown and the possibility of that engagement that you can just beat his ass, kind of as as you will on the feet. And uh, and you did. And he looked so tight. Um, yeah. In his striking, and and you actually looked really loose, man. Like the the contrast between your first fight and this one was um, was striking. Yeah, um, I'm really happy about that. Nice yeah, I mean, you should be. I, I would be. I thought you looked extremely good. I really would like to try one more time, one more fight, just because, like, I want to I want to be, like, I would obviously have to do 170. Um, yeah, I was going to say the weight. Yeah, that was, uh, yeah, that was let, let's, something let's take this. Let's take this one step at a time. Let's start with just the process leading up to the fight. Um as someone who was on the phone with you during this weight cut, uh, <laughs> I know what went into it. Uh, but do you want to just let everyone know um, why being a fat piece of shit before the fight really hurt you? That's <laughs> not what happened, though. <laughs> um, so in between fights, I kind of put on some muscle. Um, and, you know, I'm, I, you could tell by, like, in the actual fight. I, I have footage of the fight um, from the angles of the uh, promotion. You could see I'm just much bigger than I was in the in the yeah. first fight. 
Um, <laughs> so, and that was deliberate because in my last fight, I felt quite undersized. Um, that he must have had like 15, 20 pounds of me. And I really did not like being in that position, even though I was better and I beat him. Um, well, it's funny you say that though, Ben, because like I, I watched that fight video a few times and A, you didn't look much smaller. And B, there were a number of times that you muscled him around. Now, I'm, I have wiry strength. Wanting, wanting to have a, a size and strength advantage, especially as a grappler, is totally reasonable. But I don't think you were at a huge disadvantage in the first fight. And I will say in this one, you looked a lot bigger and stronger than him. Yeah. Um, it was, I, I noticed it in the video footage as well um, when, I, when I watched it afterwards from the actual like, um promotions recording mm -hmm. um it, it it felt it was something i wanted to be i, I wanted to be a little bit bigger so um that wouldn't sure. be worried about that so the problem is is that um i'd never cut 20 pounds before it's a lot uh and originally the fight was supposed to be at 55 and i got that changed thank god the, my opponent also Apparently cuts a lot of weight himself. Um, he had a very thick back. I don't know if you if you noticed it was a weirdly thick back. Um, he had some titties too. He 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 put on a ton of size. Like I, I checked his Instagram afterwards. Like he he was at one point like really sick and had a bunch of surgeries and he was like what like a hundred pounds or something yeah. like that. He put on a tremendous amount of muscle. Um, anyway. Um, Anyway, um, so trying to cut that weight, it, it was just, I just really don't think I was capable of doing it. Not, you know, working full time and yeah, sure. wife and the kids and training. It was too much. It just was too much. Yeah. And I would never do that to myself again. That was yeah, horrible. My, my general rule of thumb is that an amateur should cut no more than about 7% of their body weight at most 10 um, and even that's quite a bit uh, because it's just too hard, you know, out of the context of a camp where you can totally dedicate yourself to it. It's, it's just brutal. It's just brutal. And frankly, for most people, it's not going to matter that much. Like it's better to walk a, a little bit lighter and um, cut a little bit less. Um, but you did, you did make the cut. I know it was hard, but you did it. And, yeah. um, you know, beat his ass. Yeah. It was um, it was weird. So like, the after the cut, I did try to do an IV myself, but it, like we must have fucked it up somehow. It wasn't really like feeding properly, so I ended up trying to rehydrate them the old-fashioned way. Yeah. But I just didn't do it well, so I actually started to feel really sick as Friday night went on. So I decided to just go to bed. Woke up at six a.m. Um, just feeling like absolute dog shit. Yeah, my chest felt tight. Um, my neck hurt. Like my my mouth was dry as a bone. It, it was awful. So I just went downstairs, and I followed the method you told me last time. Okay, I did the the Gatorade Zero and the Pedialyte and water, um, yep. plus salt and vinegar potato chips. Yep. yep. And I just did that for three hours. Just did that for three hours. Just sat there eating potato chips drinking drinking yep felt much better went back to sleep for a couple hours woke up felt a lot better but not like you know still weak and that kept going 
basically by five o'clock is when I really like my brother had a punching bag. So I just moved around, hit it a bit. Yeah. But I felt about 90% and I'm like, okay, I'm good. So until five o'clock, I was really like actually scared that I might have zero energy. Yeah, it's, it's a funny thing. You know, I, I think most people think that after they cut weight, they should just go crazy and kind of eat whatever they want. But the thing is, your your body is really at that point starved for um, for just water and electrolytes. So the potato chips, I mean, I've always thought those are good because a lot of salt, a lot of carbs. Personally, I usually ate French fries if I could, if I could get them, just because I like them. But, for, but potato chips are good too. And then, um, yeah, Gatorade Zero is good. Because if you drink like normal Gatorade, you can drink some. But if you just like pound it, you're going to crash so hard. Yeah. Uh, you you got to be really careful coming out of that fast. Yeah, that was the... Um... That was my thought process, and I just I fucked it up yeah. Friday. And I thank God I, thank God I did it right, you know, the next day. Yeah, because yeah. that would have been fucking awful if I just fucked it up again. Yeah. Um. Then I got the yeah, so, I, I, yeah. Guys, sorry. Yeah, my turn to talk. Uh, yes, it is. I'll allow it. Yeah. So one of my questions is, how do you think? How did you feel going to the fight with the weight cut? Um, do you, what, what percentage did you feel out compared to your normal training schedule? Um, and was it, were you worried about gassing because of the weight cut? Um, I was, I was definitely not worried that I wouldn't be able to start the fight at the intensity I normally would, because uh, like I said, I was, I was testing myself at my brother's place uh, with the punching bag and I was, I was able to give it a good, you know, I was able to give it a good few, few seconds not a few seconds, like a good, like 15, 20, 30 seconds, like going at a decent pace without feeling fatigued. So I knew that I'd be able to do that, like come out at that pace without any issue. It's just that I didn't know if I'd be able to maintain it the same way that I would if I was not having the weight cut, right? So, um, so when I got to the arena, like that, that was basically my, my thought process was essentially that one of two things is going to happen. Either my body will be fine, I'll have the gas to go as as I would in training, or I'll be able to start fast and I'll fade. Either way, I have to go out at that, that pace anyway, because if I can sustain it, great. I'm going to sustain it and I'll beat his ass. If I can't sustain it, well, I'm still going to have the best chance of beating him early on then, because if I fade, I'm fucked. So... I made that decision where I'm like, I'm not going to change the pace and pressure and volume and output that and approach I wanted to use based on that. That was my thought process, at least. And then how are you feeling on the walkout? Did it, um, was the weight cut at all playing a part of it? Like, how are you feeling going to the cage and then? Um, when did you realize it was like, okay, this guy's dead? Um, so I felt confident, but definitely the weight cut was just on my mind. I couldn't, I couldn't ignore it. Um, it, it, you know, like I said, I accepted it. I accepted what it might do, but at the same time, I still couldn't get it out of my head. Um, so that was definitely on my mind. I was still confident. I knew that like I, I was well prepared. Um, I had, a, you know, different um approaches based on how my opponent would be approaching this so if he would 
come out trying to essentially pressure me really, really hard to try and prevent me from being able to, to get comfortable shooting on him. Um, I had an approach where I would, you know, essentially just collapse into the clinch and get a hold of him so that I can turn him into the cage. Um, yeah. If he would play in open space, basically we would do what we did in the actual fight, um, kind of work my range because I knew that I would have a little bit of length on him. Um, and I do have, feel like I, I do feel like in training, like I was really showing a decent jab. So I knew that I had that as a good weapon. I really liked my front kick, which I also was able to land. Yeah. So I had those long range weapons that I would kind of try and make him and poke him to feel uncomfortable and then get him to kind of make a mistake so I can grab him. And if he would have backed up because he wants to play the outside game because he doesn't want to get near me, then I would obviously push him to the cage and work from there. Um, so I did have different uh, plans for how to yeah, approach it. And, and we may get to this later, but I think if you're going to be a jiu-jitsu guy in MMA, or even really any kind of grappler in MMA, um, you know, unless you're just a super explosive wrestler who can um, cover a lot of ground on a shot, having those range weapons to force your opponent to uh, close distance themselves is extremely important because that's going to allow you to get in on a good reactive shot or to duck into a clinch reactively. Yeah. And um, that was something I'd worked on in camp a lot, actually. Yeah. Um, yeah. Even, in, even in boxing or kickboxing, so there's no mm -hmm. grappling. Um, I would... Um, collapse into the clinch, even though I yep. obviously I wanted to work on my striking. Um, but I would make sure to take rounds where like, um, if, we're, we're, if we're working, that I would just collapse into the clinch and grab a hold, really tight hold um, just to, you know, get that feel. Um, so uh, what ended up happening is, is that I, I, I when we came out, um, he took the open space, not, um, like the open space uh, as the choice of where we're going to fight so uh that first front kick was essentially when i connected i felt him like react to it uh he did not like it it hurt uh or it seemed to hurt uh from his body language so i don't know if he was flinching or it just really hurt but um then i clocked him with that first jab which hurt him right away so from that point on i'm like okay he's now going to be kind of really concerned so i'm just going to keep just poking at him poking at him poking at him and then uh, really felt good. Um, I don't. He didn't land a single strike, which was really good. Then when I landed that last jab that hurt him, I just, I just decided to go for it. Um, you saw me make a mistake. Um, I came out of my stance with the. I came into a southpaw stance because it's just something I'll do out of comfort slash I'm a righty, so I wanted my front hand forward because it also allows me to be a little bit safer because I'm a little bit faster with on the reaction time. Um, so it's kind of just something I do as like a bad habit, I feel like, um, that I just flurried as hard as I could on him. I did feel good that I kind of stepped back as he countered. Uh, Sarama actually pointed it out and then I threw the head kick. It was pretty cool. Um, Sarama had some really, really nice things to say about me. He compared it to like, a, he, it was crazy. He's like, he showed a clip of Holloway, like doing like that, um, faking the front kick into the stepping jab, which I did. So that was fun. And uh, yeah, I hurt my foot kicking him in the head. He took a flush head kick and it fucking hurt me. The whole ankle swollen. Um, it is going down now, though. So I don't think there's actually damage to the foot, but you know. And I just uh, finished him. We punched to the head.
but I knew he was fucked pretty instantly. Well, it was a hell of a performance. Um, I, I was very impressed. Yeah, Appreciate my, my next question. I think you talk about how like you're fighting like Max Holloway and stuff like that. Um, why aren't you doing steroids? <laughs> I wish I was. I'd probably be in better shape. I was gonna say like it's a lot of injuries. Maybe if you know, maybe an oral steroid or two might help. I would like to do TRT. So. Can yeah, you should. We can we can talk about that a little if you want. I'm happy to share my experience. Please, can I get some. Can you get you, some? Probably you not. You should not have any excess. No, put me on steroid. No, put me on absolutely steroid. not. You're 22, not, and I think you're fine. I'm um, not aggressive enough. <laughs> <laughs> That's your problem. Um, uh, yeah. So you know, it's a funny thing. So um, I uh, I for for any listeners who don't know. Um, who, who do not follow me on Twitter. Um, I, uh, I am 39. Uh, I will turn 40 in April, and I am on uh, TRT. Um, I am on a very, very low dose. Actually, the initially I was on the lowest dose that is prescribed, and then I got bumped up to the second lowest dose uh, by an actual doctor, not a, um, like a new male, uh, you know, men's enhancement kind of doctor. Um, so I, I trust that I actually... Uh, Qualify for it honestly, but honest, but to be to be totally clear, I actually don't give a shit why somebody wants to do steroids. Um, and, and I gotta say, like, you should totally do steroids <laughs> if you are, uh, you know, if you're 16, should you be fucking mainlining D ball in your ass? No, you're gonna fuck yourself up. If you're an older person, um, you know, if you're in your mid-20s and uh, your energy sucks, or if you are a professional athlete and you need to heal uh, more quickly than you can otherwise, I mean, don't be a dumbass about it. Don't do, like, enough steroids to kill a rhinoceros. But the, the truth is that... Shut <laughs> up, man. <laughs> Matt, fuck you. Future. Future. Uh, <laughs> Especially if you're somebody I want to go engaged. out like Rich Piana. <laughs> Holy shit, Matt! What the fuck is wrong with you? Listen, out of all the ways I could kill myself, I think that's the funnest. <laughs> what the fuck is wrong with you? Bro, I talked about it. Rest, rest in peace, uh, Rich. God uh, damn. Five for, was it five percent? I can't. Was it five percent or three? Which one's the Nazi group? Is that three <laughs> percent? Holy shit! <laughs> I can't. Let's be honest, it's 5%. Anyway, um, you know, if you're engaged in intense athletic activity where recovery really matters and where it's it's difficult to recover, you know, I, I honestly don't think steroids are the end of the world. And, um, you know, I personally think that it's, it's kind of silly that there's so much testing for pro athletes around them because um, I really don't care. Um, do you, yeah, I don't do you, so you don't feel bad about posting fraudulent deadlifts knowing that you're being athletically enhanced? Why would he care? Uh, I'm just saying it's, uh, <laughs> I don't know. I'm just fucking around. No, if, you, oh, know, uh, you know, I care about like two things in this world. If, uh, if my old ass can, you know, I wish steroids would like, and I wish uh, very low, low doses of medical testosterone would save my knees because I had to actually give up powerlifting because my knees were so fucked. Um, yeah, I've, I've still never, uh, never deadlifted 500 pounds in competition, which annoys me. Um, because I think I, I, I've been very close on two occasions, but, uh, 
No, but in any case, look, you know, you sleep better. It helps your mood. It helps recovery. Um, it, and if you're an athlete, look, I mean, if you if you look at like jujitsu before the IBJJF foolishly started steroid testing, they don't awesome. test them. They they test the top guy at IBJJF. Yeah, yeah, no, like it's still it's still a fucking joke. But uh, like, it's if somebody's test, training eight hours like... a day, if somebody's training eight hours a day. Who cares if they take steroids to help them recover? I mean, I I really don't give a shit. I mean, Kyan lost his hairline to it. I feel like that's that's enough of a punishment. You know, you, you got to be willing to uh, to sacrifice. Um, but uh, no, no, seriously. Um, if, if anybody diet. if anybody is worried about doing TRT, um, it's worked really well for me, and it's improved my quality of life. Now, I'm not a competitive athlete anymore. I actually very intentionally said that I was not going to do it until I stopped seriously competing because I do think that to an extent um, it, it hurts the integrity of competition. But uh, especially if you're not a competitor, like, who cares? Last time uh, we were speaking about IBGF Worlds, uh, we had three events that actually go on that were uh, relatively recently. We had the first and second edition of the ADCC South America Trials. Um, starring Micah Galvao, who uh, took out five guys, including Majid Haidt. Dude, he wrecked shop. Submits five opponents and I think a total time of five minutes and 13 seconds, including Ma was it Majid Hage or Majid Hodge? H it's Hage. It's Hage, but yeah, he's... Yeah. yeah. Majid Hage is, was 10-2. and two. He only lost to Cade, submitted everybody else in the tournament, and was trialed by Mika um, in about 30 seconds. Is 77 with JT Torres going to be the best division? You have JT Torres, Cade yeah. Rucholo, the winner of the uh, the ADCC trials for the first North American one. I mean, Nikki Ryan's going to be in there. Ethan Krenlinson, I heard, um, is going in. You have Wagner Hocha, yeah. who's, uh, who's a silver medalist moving up. Gary Tonin just accepted his invitation. I think uh, nice. Mo was talking about it, how great. He only has one more invite, uh, which probably goes to Majid just because – he, I mean, he lost in the, the second edition, which we'll get into um, after that. But I really wanted to talk about Mika. Um, is that who you're most excited? I know that's who everyone I mean, in the graphic is, community is talking I, about. I got to say, like, the, 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 the guillotine is such a double-edged weapon in ADCC rules because it's so easy to end up on bottom and if you're not careful to give up takedown points. But he's but triangling people. Like it's man, his guillotine, his triangle, like it, he's so dangerous um in those transitional positions from the bottom. Yeah. yeah very I mean, impressive. Mika and Majid were probably the two stories of the day. 66, D, uh, Diego Heiss out of Fight Sports. Uh, Fight Sports had a great weekend, uh, which somehow didn't involve uh, children. So, fuck them. Uh, but Diego Heiss uh, was able to beat Pato at the end. Uh, Pato's currently Diego Pato. You need now. Uh, Dream Art is nursing an injury. I think he got hurt in the last three seconds. So, hopefully, he gets an invite. Um, Isaac Mahins won. Beat Claudio Calasans, former ADCC absolute winner. Um, an 88 to advance. Um, I think it took him three or four times to be able to finally get that, but uh, he's a leader of Gmart. He's a great guy. Uh, nobody really cares about 99 and plus 99. Uh, and then in the second South uh, South American trials, Fabricio Andre, the rookie black belt, who I believe won the featherweight division at IBGF Worlds, um, Guy was able to qualify. Roberto Jimenez became the first non-Brazilian to win the ADCC trials at the uh, South American region. 
I defended the heel looks pretty well, but again, a theme of that was of the entire tournament really was the lack of leg lock defense and entries um, in the Brazilian region. Uh, do you think that's going to stay that way, Tommy? And the leg locks are more of an American or I guess Russian move to, or you think Brazil is going to be able to adapt to that? Or is it because it's such a geese heavy region there where it's the IBGF rules doesn't really allow that engage? Yeah, you know, it, it'll be interesting to see. Um, I, I think that if they don't, that it's going to come back to bite them both both in uh, Abu Dhabi, but also in all of the various pro events, the invitationals, which r realistically, that's where you make your money as a grappler anymore, as a competitor anyway, um, almost all of which allow leg locks. And I, I do wonder if that will change over time now that the IBGJF is allowing uh, heel hooks in, uh, in Nogi Worlds. Um, you know, that really, I think, creates a potential for cultural change. I do think you're right, though, that the decentrality of um, of the folks in Brazil is going to be a hindrance there. Um, because, you know, really, if you look at American jiu-jitsu, and I don't mean American jiu-jitsu like the Jake Shields, just jiu-jitsu in America, um, you see much, much more movement towards no-gi as kind of the primary competitive style. Like, yeah, obviously, there's still tons of Americans competing in the gi, but I think most of the big name Americans are um, are more no gi oriented, and uh, so the the leg game really uh, really comes to the fore there. And frankly, Americans have been on the forefront of developing the leg game from a technical standpoint. Whereas I think if you look at the gi, almost everything's been developed, with with, with the exception of some of the stuff that like Keenan's done um, in the guard uh, has been in Brazil. Like Brazilians, they they own the gi, they rule the gi. They develop the gi, um, but America. Except for Mikey. Really, yeah, but you know, even Mikey. I mean, coming up, how he did with uh, with Kyotera, um, certainly a lot of Brazilian influence there. He's been very yeah. successful, but I don't. Is he a big innovator in the gi? I mean, nah, he's just I, good. I, I don't want to take too much away from him because I think in some of those very, uh, you know, very 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 lightweight kind of. Yeah. Uh, upside down leg entanglement, double leg entanglement sort of positions. He he has been an innovator, but it's it's very much at the margins. It's nothing like what you yeah. saw coming out of Henzo's, mostly from Americans. Um, it's actually, yeah. In terms I, I of say, the leg game. Yeah, I would say it's actually interesting. I think the European, like, I don't, there's not much of innovation in the gi from the American standpoint, but I think it's a lot, Europe. Like, I mean, you got between Espen, Tommy with K-Guard and Matrix, John Thomas out there. Uh, and Wardzinski basically bring Butterfly back um, in Gi. I mean, that's yeah, where a lot of development point. is coming from Europe, um, especially that those Nordic regions. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, that, that is an interesting point. I didn't really think about that. But for me, honestly, um, I'm really excited about the most supported person I'm excited for is Goomba Pereira, who won the plus 99 division in Brazil. It's his first Nogi tournament since winning Nogi Worlds at Brown Belt. I'm a huge fan of Gutenberg. Um, he beat Marigali in the Gi. He's been on a run recently. Um, so I'm really looking forward to him at 99. And then, of course, uni standout, Misa Bastos. Being, she's probably, what, 115 pounds? Win the 66-kilogram division at uh, ADCC. And then the exact same, uh, sorry, one week later, going over to Europeans, which we just had, and winning her division there. Uh, I mean, her run, she's winning. Who's number one? She's won, I mean, the ADCC trials. Three-time world champion, um, Europeans. I mean, 
I would say she's the best female fighter in the world at this point. I don't think there's anyone to argue against that. Or do you guys not watch women misogynist fucks? No, I, I do. Um, <laughs> I mean, I... <laughs> if you think I've watched anything in the past, like, month and a half, you're very mistaken. Yeah, I was going to say, it's, it's mostly been highlights for me. I, I do want to go back to one thing, though, because, um, you know, I, I rambled a little bit, but I didn't quite finish my answer about whether or not uh, Brazilians will embrace the leg game. Because I think one thing that's really important when you talk about the leg game is to is to actually... It is to critically examine how important it actually is under an ADCC rule set. Because I would say that the leg game is actually much less significant for Abu Dhabi than it is for various pro invitationals. And the reason is you can win Abu Dhabi by being a good wrestler with a strong top game and decent submission defense. I mean, you look at a guy like Nick Rodriguez and how well he's, you know, how much success he's had being very new to jiu-jitsu, but being a very skilled wrestler and, and just kind of a general grappler. That's a very viable strategy at, uh, at Abu Dhabi. Now, probably less so at the lower weight classes because just the, the way that weight to strength ratios work, um, you're always going to have more success playing, uh, playing bottom um, at lower weight classes. But, you know, I think for the Brazilians, if – if their wrestling is on point, if their top games are on point, if they're able to take the back, and if they're able to defend leg locks even a little, they can still win. I mean, you look at a guy like Felipe Pena. I mean, he's got a good 50-50 game, um, but he's not a leg locker in the style of, you know, Gordon Ryan or back in the day Eddie Cummings or somebody like that. He's never heard of any because – he wrestles fairly well, and he's got a brutal back attack and passes guard very well, you know, strong top game. Um, so, you know, I think guys who are more geese-centric, as long as they are at least aware of some of the positions where they're vulnerable to entries into the leg-locking game, they're able to neutralize it, and they have good wrestling, they'll still do fine at Abu Dhabi. Yeah. I mean, I don't have much to add to that. Um, pretty much summed it up. It's, it's not a it – they don't need to reinvent the wheel. They have a very good base, and they, as long as they can, <clears throat> um, like you said, build up enough defense to kind of plug those holes, they're going to continue to do fine. Yeah, I mean, because Abu Dhabi is not it, – it's important to recognize that Abu Dhabi is not really a jiu-jitsu competition. No, it's, it's a submission grappling competition. It's submission wrestling, right? Like, the way the rule set works really prioritizes wrestling. Yes, you can obviously win by being a submission first – even if you're off the bottom kind of guy. But generally speaking, the people who win Abu Dhabi are folks who have really good wrestling and really strong top games at every weight class. JT Torres. Yeah. Marcelo Garcia. Lucas Lepre, Marcelo Garcia. Yeah. Of course. And I will be at ADCCC. I'm sorry, ADCC. So if you're going to go, just send me a DM. I'll go grab dinner. And I'll probably just get fucking hammered during the fights. Um, Gordon, you Gordon you're going to buy uh, that dinner. And you're going to buy him nine PBRs. Gordon with the um, the leg lock game, he doesn't he doesn't have a necessarily an especially strong wrestling game, so he's actually more of an anomaly. I know he's a fence grappler, actually. That's what he says. I hate him so much. <laughs> also, <laughs> I hate dude, that so PBR, much. Are you fucking kidding me? I'm drinking vanilla porter Breckenridge. Okay, I've recently discovered porters and IPAs now that I don't drink Natty Lights for fun. Um, so yeah. Step the fuck off. Back to my point. Um, You'll drink what we give you, Joel. 
Like a fucking dog bowl. <laughs> Maybe if you're unlucky, if you catch me on a bad night. <laughs> Whatever. Fucking, I'll just Bitch. take your TRT and you won't wake up. Um. So back to the point of uh, Europeans, since uh, no one gives a shit about Nogi. Uh, Maisa Bastos won her division. Uh, <laughs> pound for pound. <laughs> nice segue. Yeah. <laughs> uh, pound for pound. Uh, I think she's the best female fighter in the world. I'm not going to say that just because she's unity, but that also helps. Uh, whatever. Uh, but the biggest news. Uh, well, actually, let me let me let me hold it off later. Adam Wardzinski, our butterfly grandmaster. I probably should have used grandmaster there. Um, but butterfly king uh, finally won gold. Uh, IBJF major. Um, I'm ecstatic for him. I mean, innovator and butterfly. I, someone I base my games off more so actually for X guard and single leg X than butterfly. Uh, but it's a long time calling for a guy who's able to beat Leandro Lowe. Uh, but yeah, no. Uh, but yeah, um, I'm really happy for Wardzinski uh, beating Dominic Bell. Uh, but I think the uh, Espen Matian finally wins gold. Um, really, really happy for that guy. But uh, the main story has to be tied in uh, Dalbrook. I mean, rookie black belt, he's coming out. Um, subs, Tommy Langacker again after a back and forth match at Worlds. Where Tommy had his back in the, oh, I think it was like two minutes and almost subbed him, came back and beat him. Um, I think <sighs> undoubtable. Uh, you, I don't think you can dispute whether uh, who who the top pound for pound gi competitor in the world is. I think it's Tynan. I mean, you look at his I body. Mean, what, of a, what a, I don't know about calendar, but like what a last 12 months that guy has had. It's unreal. And the only guy lost yeah. was, was Mika Galval. Yeah. Which is, and like, that's like, I mean, I'm a huge fan of uh, Jefferson Guarcy. I mean, he's my coach, one of my very good friends. Um, IBGF, Pan-American champion. IBGF, Nogi world champions. Like, Kynan couldn't submit him. Kynan couldn't even pass his guard. And the fact that uh, Tynan is able to submit him within, like, within, like, like, five or six minutes at IBGF Worlds. I mean, the only loss he has in his black belt career is against Mika Galvao in a referee decision, um, which it wasn't even, it was a weird rule set. It's EUG. So they have their own separate rule set. But I mean, he's amazing. He's, he's 21 years old, I think. But like, if you look at his last, his last couple matches, beats Hinato Canuto 9 2, chokes out Jonatas Gracie, Nivars Jefferson Guarasi, beats Ronaldo Jr. on points, chokes out Tommy Langacker, beats Isaac Behins, ADCC. Trials champion, former yeah. world champion by points. Um, arm locks Pedro Matisse. Bow and arrows Tarek Hopsack. Arm bars Tommy Langacker. I mean, he beat Italo Mora, another like, nicest guy in the world. You need legit guy. I think he's won pans. Uh, I think he's won pans at Black Belt. Um, he's beat Shane Jabil Taylor's world champion. He beat him 29-0 in IBJ. 29-0. I mean, this guy is unbelievable. It's AOJ Academy. I mean... Talk about a gym with him and Colabate in there. Uh, it's just a, I, I implore if anyone, if you're watching, if you if you just want to watch Gi Jitsu and try to learn, there's no one better to learn from because he's the best fighter in the world, best grappler in the world right now. Damn, I got, I'm really, argue. Passionate. I got really passionate. I got argue about that. that was impressive. <laughs> what? You, you, uh, I'm sold. I'm sold, Matt. Yeah, I got Go. nothing. Go for it, uh, yo. Also, if you run a company and need to hire some jobs, please send me a DM. Oh, fuck with you. Uh, oh, God. Yeah, no. I mean, uh, Fabricio, uh, I mean, uh, sorry, not Fabricio, I think. Titan Dalpra. I mean, 
Watch his fights. The guy submits people, his passing, his guard. I mean, he comes back and fights. He, like his the I think the only fight he he was losing in was the 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 Langacker fight. And to come back and not only win my not just win, but win by submission. I mean, it's just the, the the level of talent that's in there. I know we spoke about worlds with all these young guys. I think what we have like five or six first or second year black belts uh, win world titles. I mean, and he's the head of he's the head of the generation. Um, I think he's a guy. I, he's not going to get a lot of love from Flo Grappling because he's Brazilian. He's not from Daisy uh, Daisy Fresh, but I mean, he's an unbelievable competitor. But that's it. From, that's what I have from um, IBGF News. See, I care about the gi. I keep yeah, excited. Uh, yeah. I, keep, I, keep, I, I keep think that's as good of a recap as anybody could have asked for. I have no idea who won plus ninety nine. I mean, sorry, the heavy, the ultra heavyweight. I'll be honest with you. Oh, Lovato won. Uh, ultra heavyweight, my bad. Former Bellator champion. All right. Yeah. Well, uh, in in light of uh, Ben's impressive impressive victory as a precision striker, um, <laughs> do we want to uh, do we want to talk a little bit about what what uh, what makes a Brazilian jiu jitsu expert? Oh, I forgot about this. <laughs> I forgot oh, we were supposed to talk did about. Did we actually this? have a topic? <laughs> I forgot in my midst of getting excited about Kijiju and Titan, I have to remember fucking Leo Santos and Hadolfo. Which which one was worse? I think Hadolfo was worse, right? I think Hadolfo was worse. I think Hadolfo was definitely worse, yeah. Because Leo Santos beat him like three times that fight. I mean, look, middleweight, middleweight is, so there's a line. There's like awesome divisions, which is lightweight and below. There's welterweight is like kind of a nether region of like sometimes it's good, sometimes it's bad. And above that, the divisions are shit. And Hadolfo is relatively young, not young, young, but relatively young. And, um, you know, a, a plus athlete, not like not a plus again, but like a plus athlete for middleweight and a Brazilian jiu jitsu world champion many times, very decorated. Um, shouldn't get subbed in May, bro. Sorry. Like, I get it. You get beat up, anybody can get subbed. That's absolutely true. But come on, man. Not Ben. He's built different. He'd rather break his hand punching. I didn't break it. Whatever. I think, I think Ben was doing the uh, – I think Ben did the Gilbert Burns, which is uh, one very effective way of becoming a, uh, <laughs> a, a good uh, convert from jiu-jitsu to MMA, which is um, learn to punch people hard and – then when they're afraid of their afraid of your grappling, you just punch them in the head. Uh, yeah, have you fallen in love with your hands yet? What would you say? Have you fallen in love with your hands yet? No, I, okay, I can explain. Yes. Okay, that is now a side. I didn't. I mean, his, his wife his wife's pregnant, so kind of by default. I'm not gonna fall in love with my hands. I'm not gonna just start brawling with everybody. Um, but it is nice to know that I hit with the tower. That was actually nice to learn. I don't understand. Is that, that's what we do at Unity. We just, we just brawl and Felipe concusses me. I don't just understand. Yeah, bang, bro. But I want to jab people. I gotta, re- dude. I gotta record these sessions. Felipe literally growls. It's fucking hilarious. He beat a kid bloody because he wore chains. All right. That's another so I'm sorry. Brief digression. Off. Matt, are are you in boxing gloves or MMA gloves when you're in these? They're in boxing gloves. We're doing boxing gloves. We do MMA gloves on the ground. And it's just chat. It's so I've been doing. But are are so, you just are you just doing stand up 
Oh, so for those, so uh, for those who don't know, oh, boy. I, train, I train at Unity Jiu-Jitsu. Um, but no, it's um, I got invited by Jefferson because I think he really just wanted to punch me in the face. Uh, <laughs> me, Jefferson, Sebastian Rodriguez, who's uh, uh, I think he won double gold Noki brown belt last year. He's now a black belt. Uh, and then Murillo, and then uh, Felipe Cesar Casilva, who won the ADCC trials in Brazil in 2015. Uh, basically, we do is 20 minutes of striking on the ground. So you two minutes each of takedown into punches on the ground. You just got to hold the guy down. Um, then we do 30 minutes of mitts, which, like, we're all terrible, so it doesn't really matter. And then we do 30 minutes of sparring, where Murillo kind of just has me there to get punched in the face really hard. Um, they don't yeah. speak English. They don't speak English to me during it because I'm I'm a blue belt, so my life doesn't matter. Um, but yeah, that's what we do. Don't it's it's kind of training for dummies. Um, I'm kind of just there just to get UCM punched in the face, and also the last the first twenty minutes of being able to do MMA grappling with striking with world champions is pretty dope. Are you gonna but, fight MMA, Joya? Probably in like three years. I'm gonna get my purple belt from Morello, right. but who knows how long that's gonna be. Um, I have a lot of unresolved anger issues, so I think I'd be really good at MMA. Yeah, you're um, Irish Italian. You should be able to fucking fight. Trust me, he can fight. Yeah, and um, I guess online I'm sort of a Nazi, so I fit right in. There you he go. Could beat up. He could beat up probably like ninety percent of the amateur scene right now. But I, my, if I, I fought that, I fucking fall apart mentally. It's so bad. Um, it's honestly but, the funniest fucking thing. It's amazing. It fucking sucks. I also have, I have very good. I for some reason I kind of have freakish cardio. It's very it's, annoying. Yeah, yeah. you're you're 22, right? No, you're, you're, it's, it's, it's freaky. It's, it's pretty freaky cardio. <laughs> he doesn't get tired. It's really weird. Kind of scary. But no, like, I get so, tired. I just, I just get I just I'm like I get angry. I'm like, I'm like, I can't yeah, that's, believe it. that's super annoying. As as an old man, um, in combat sports uh, standards, anyway. Um, yeah, people the, who don't get tired fucking suck. I I gotta show you my full match because it's my third match, and there's a point where I just look at the camera staring, and I'm just not even breathing. <laughs> <laughs> like this is this is like third IBJJF match, and I'm just like, fuck this. Um, it was so ridiculous. <laughs> But uh, back to the back to the topic at hand because we keep avoiding this because uh, I hate talking about jujitsu and MMA. Um, my my theory on it, I think, to be the as the least articulate member of all of us here, I want to go first so I don't get embarrassed later. Um, I think that a lot of the problem with jujitsu guys translating to MMA, especially from a Brazilian background, is because it's such a gi dependent sport. Yeah. I think a lot of the A-plus, A-tier athletes don't get nearly as far as they can unless it's Leandro Lowe. I mean, you look at the guys who are A-plus athletes in Gi. I mean, it's Hoffa Mendez, Puchecha, Leandro. Um, Adolfo's a good athlete, don't get me wrong, but he's not that level of A. And I think the, the gripping nature of IBJJF allows guys who are more cerebral. I mean, you look at a guy like Felipe Pena, who's making his transition. Um, have either of you guys seen any of his pad work videos yet? Uh, no, no, but I don't really want to because I do not think of Felipe Pena as an especially good athlete, to be honest. It is painfully stiff. Yeah. He's a great jiu-jitsu competitor, 
Uh, but I think the cerebral nature, um, I mean, we talked about it whenever we talk about the Cobrinha-Hoffa matches. Um, one, of the, one of the things you always point out, which I always love, was that when you look at those matches, it's all about one or two grips. And it's them breaking yeah. the grips over and over again to be able to get to that one position. And especially at that level, when world titles are based on that, and not even world titles, it's just you have to be... Like just that to get to, to be the best, you have to like that, that's the, the top matches. Um, and if you can't enforce your grips, you're going to lose. I think a lot of guys who rely on athleticism, which in MMA, I think a lot of people, aka like Tyron Woodley, was a fucking world champion, can get by on athleticism. And I think that's why Jiu-Jitsu guys yeah. kind of drown a little bit about that level is because I think the top guys mostly aren't that aren't great athletes. I mean, you look at Hodger. Hodger's not a great athlete. I mean. No. Not even Puchetti the slightest is, bit. Puchetti is, what, twice, three times? Yeah, you can't even compare them. But, through, I mean, we should watch that fight on this podcast, but the first half of that, I mean, the, the entire fight is won by gripping exchanges on the feet in that yeah. second match, where Hodger controlled the grips, Puchetti couldn't make grips, and Hodger made him look like a fool. He's 37. Yeah. This guy's 23, 24, arguably 10-time world champion. I mean, Hodger beat the shit out of him. And I think that that's at the, the fundamental basis. It's a combat sport. It's, a very, it's probably the most cerebral combat sport where you can't rely on pure athleticism. Yeah. And I think at the top levels, that's why you see a lot of guys who transition to MMA after lose by that. Now, you can also say it's also their training style because I think jiu-jitsu guys are spar, spar, spar. And I think seeing how jiu-jitsu guys train for MMA, I don't think they're really that good at it either. Uh, uh, but I think athleticism is the main thing. Yeah, so I think it's important to talk about, to clarify what we mean when we talk about athleticism, because there are there are many physical attributes that will allow you to succeed in various combat sports. Jiu-Jitsu is actually a bit of a, it's a bit of a rarity, right? Because usually when we talk about athleticism, we talk about people who have explosive power. They can, you know, they can they can move really quickly from point A to point B. They can react really quickly to stuff. They can deliver power. Um, Matt, you you know, over, Jesus Christ, Matt. Kill Sorry. Kill me. Suck my dick. Sorry, I don't uh, know. Magnifying glass. Um, so, you know, you can deliver power over space very quickly. Um, but the thing is, there are other athletic attributes too. You can be, you can have amazing balance. You can have really good proprioception, right? Where you can really feel what's going on and how your body's being manipulated and react to that. Um, there are there are other ways of being athletic that are not rewarded in sports like you know basketball or baseball that we don't normally think of athleticism. But the thing is, in grappling, especially in, in gi grappling, those can be super valuable attributes. You know, I'm like a shit athlete by normal standards like i'm slow as fuck i am incredibly white like i can't jump for shit but i was always a kid i was always pretty good at jujitsu because i have really good balance i have really good spatial awareness i have really strong grips and i have very good sensitivity to how my body's being moved around and how to move other people around and that was always good but you know when i started kickboxing none of that was worth a goddamn thing like in the clinch, it was helpful, I suppose, because, you know, I could feel people and I could move them and I could fuck with their balance and, you know, throw knees. But in space, like, I, I'm slow. 
I couldn't punch fast, couldn't kick fast. Guys would beat me to the punch all the time. Um, and I think what you see in jiu-jitsu is that you have people like Hodger Gracie, for instance, who have these athletic, these physical attributes. I won't even say athletic. These physical attributes where, you know, super strong grips, tremendous sensitivity and ability to, uh, you know, to respond in, in very small ways to what his opponent's doing, great balance that allows them to dominate in a geek-centric sport where that level of control is possible. You go to MMA, like, shit's just random. And the ability to just throw really fast and hit really hard is worth a lot more than all of those physical attributes that made him good at jujitsu. And I think that's probably partially true for Hadolfo. I think when you see um, when you see jujitsu guys do really well in MMA, for the most part, now there are exceptions like Demi Maya, but for the most part, there are guys like Jacare or Gilbert Burns who have that kind of tr- kind of more generic notion of athleticism where they're really fast, they can hit really hard. Um, and they're able to translate that into success in striking in MMA and into grappling and wrestling in MMA. Um, so, you know, I, I think there really is a, a bit of a dichotomy there where you have to look at, like, kind of what made someone successful in jiu-jitsu and see if those same things translate to MMA or if they do not. I think that's why, um, I guess that's why I, um, I like the... Um the the types of jujitsu crossovers that actually aren't of that type that succeed also right like Damian Maya that's what makes him so interesting and fun to watch is that he doesn't really uh, have those traditional notions that we have when it comes to athleticism like a Jacare. Um, I, I think I think the most interesting one though is um, Verdum because yeah. he just became a genuinely good fighter. Right, like he, he wasn't really yeah. the fastest. He's not the strongest. He doesn't hit the hardest. Um, but he just became, for you know, obviously heavyweights grading on a curve. But you know, he became a a solid fighter and a good striker, and he was able to hold his own against guys who, you know, people wouldn't put you know put him against and think that he would win. But uh, I think that that's what I gravitated towards. The Jacare match is my favorite jujitsu match of all time. That was an amazing. We watched that together. Remember, that yeah. was fucking wild. Tom, um, you've seen that one, right? I have. It's been it's I been a long time, but yes, oh, it's geez. it's hard to express just how athletic Jacare is. He was a fucking. It's oh not God. normal. That's a, have you ever that's have you ever thing. watched the match where where Hodger breaks his arm? Yes. Yeah. Do you ever see the I ADCC mean, match where Jacare just stops fighting and Hodger just like shows him? It's it's the weirdest thing. No, I love Jacare. All right, so can we? Add, I genuinely, I think I think this is a good pivot point. This, so I think I have to go in a few minutes. By the way, though, no worries. Right. Me too. All right. Yeah, you guys have responsibilities. Whatever. Um, <laughs> I just want I just want to love someone as much as I love Tyne. Never mind. Um, but. <laughs> But uh, so, I, you're I guess, a fucking lunatic. I do that now. I'm Irish Italian, dude. I don't know what else to fucking tell you. Um, but we're, so I think the main piece we're coming to is the athleticism disparity. Yeah. Does that make Jacare the most confounding jujitsu fighter to ever make that transition? Because yeah, he had the athleticism, but he never built a game that was like, despite all the success he had, like if he just had any sort of takedowns, I feel like he'd be a lot better. Well, yes. I think with I think oh. with Jacare, you have to go back to Strike Force, where he was the champion. 
Um, because like many jujitsu guys, he made the transition after he'd had a fairly full jujitsu career. Now, not as late as some people, but um, how did I say? Because he, how many world ties do you have? Three, four? Yeah, three. Like if he he stayed, I mean, yeah, I mean, he, everyone I mean, talked he about could've, he could have had more, but you know, I, I think that where you see him at his best is really in strike force. Um, and he was the champion there. And I mean, there was, you know, look, you had Anderson Silva in the UFC. So, you know, who knows how that would have played out. But you could at least make a case that for a period of time, Jacare very well may have been the best middleweight in the world. Um, he just wasn't in the UFC to prove it. Um, now, you know, back when he was still very explosive, you know, with his double leg and had his ground game, like, I think there's every chance he could have fucked Anderson Silva up. I think he would have. I think he Anderson would've. Silva's wrestling defense fucking sucked. And I mean, I think he was not really and, he is, and his footwork is not exactly uh, good enough that he would have been able to not get cut off by Jacare, who in his prime had really good cage cutting footwork too. He did. And I mean, frankly, given the takedown threat, like there's every chance Jacare could have knocked him out with a right hand. But um, True. He hit like a fucking uh, truck as well. All right, oh, we can wrap three. the podcast. The only reason I wanted to say Os was to get someone to compliment Jacare since everyone in this fucking staff hates him for some reason. Fucking love Jacare. Who hates Jacare? Who hates Jacare? Danny Martin. <laughs> He's not on staff. Not anymore. But does Danny really hate Jacare? Nah. Dude, every time I post about Jacare, I get shit on. But that's just me in general on Twitter, so I guess I'm just overreacting. I think it's just you. Yeah, no, yeah. people just hate you, Matt. Matt, it's you. You're the problem. <laughs> Yeah, I, I think Jacare <laughs> would have had very a very good shot against Anderson Silva back when he was a Strikeforce champion. You don't think he wouldn't have a good shot against Israel Adesanya? Uh, I don't think he has the open space takedown. I think I Even think he would prime. lose. I think he would lose, but I think he'd be interesting. I think it's knocked out. Easy. I mean. I don't know if I'd say we're not talking MMA on this fucking podcast. I got you guys. I think. I think. Yeah, I think. I think it'd be like a third round. I think it'd be a third round because I think that Israel would have to be really, really, really cautious at first, due to the fact that if he got taken down by Jacare, there's a strong chance he doesn't get back up. But did Jacare ever had great open space takedowns? Like I, I think Izzy. That's what I'm saying. I, I don't necessarily think it would be interesting because Jacare would be hitting. He could, he I think he could back into the fence. Yeah, yeah, but could, I don't think he could I, take I think him down from the fence. But I think that w- would be interesting because I think that Izzy would be kind of a little bit overly cautious, which could give Jacare the openings he needs to maybe drag it down to the ground. Well, I- Izzy's a cautious fighter. Yeah. Like, just generally. That is his temperament, right? He wants other people to lead so he can counter. It's not that he can't lead, but he would prefer for other people to do it. Yeah. Uh, I, I would agree, but even when he leads, it's not like he leads with a, a wide range of strikes. It's a leg kick. No, it's um, safe shit. It's safe shit. A leg kick, a jab, and that's pretty much all you're going to get, which yeah, is he's fine. Not like, yeah. He's not going to pressure you and overload you with strikes. He's going to wait for you or try to draw strikes out. Um, yep. Anyway, okay, Matt, sign off. Sorry. <laughs> no, I just have one more question. Um, are we yeah. – should, should we watch Gary Tonin's um, – MMA, he's fighting for the one FC title. When? Um, in December. Oh, we got plenty of time for that run. Depending on maybe, maybe December fifth. He's fighting December fifth, apparently. December is in eight months. Dude. For December. 
because um, ADCC is in September. He's in ADCC uh, camp right now. Plus, it's not like one's an actual fucking Matt, business. if you're going to ask me about anything more than three weeks from now, I'm not going to be able to give you an answer. Yeah, that was a weird question to ask. I, well, I thought I thought it was going to be in April, and then I looked. I was December. I was like, oh, I was just stupid, but I already brought it up. How do you feel about Danielle Kelly signing with one since you're her number one fan, Ben? I didn't. Why? Well, I don't understand it. You took a picture of her and posted it. No, that part I understood. I'm saying I don't understand why they signed her. She's not horny. MMA. People, MMA fans are horny. Have you been, have you been online? It's literally a Matt Joy thirst trap. Uh, I'm not even that she, thirsty, honestly. Supposedly she's a bitch, but also like she seemed nice both times I met her, so it's weird. I don't know. I've never met her. My I don't care either, mom. Mom. What? <laughs> Sign off, you fucking Wait, weirdo. Nothing. Um. So yeah, that's uh, that's gonna be our podcast. Um. We actually got to our topic at the end after just checking around for the. <laughs> hour and a half before uh thank you everyone for listening uh we'll have this out and i'm sure we'll convene in the next um six months or so um fuck ben for making that fried uh natural hot fried chicken sandwich without me you piece of shit dude i would have loved that shit dude i love the south but we all knew that um but yeah thank you for uh listening and uh, i'm sure the south loves you too man oh yeehaw say oh baby yeehaw (laughs) Oh, no. <laughs>